You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Fancy Bear is back and maybe in your office printer. El Machete, a cyber espionage group active at least since 2014, is currently working against the Venezuelan military. A UN report allegedly offers a look at what Mr. Kim is doing with the money his hackers raked in. Megacortex ransomware shows growing automation. Another unsecured AWS S3 bucket is found. A bank stores some pins in a log file. Vigilante smishing and when popping off becomes arguably criminal. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, August 6, 2019. Microsoft reports that Strontium, also known as Fancy Bear or APT28, that is Russia's GRU military intelligence service, has undertaken a campaign to breach enterprise networks by exploiting poorly secured IoT devices, printers, video decoders, and voiceover IP phones. Redmond says that in April, its researchers discovered infrastructure of a known adversary communicating to several external devices. Once in, the attackers would seek to pivot to more interesting targets. At least two of the corporate victims had left manufacturers' default passwords on their devices. A third had failed to keep their software updated. The campaign's goal is unknown. ESET is tracking recent activity by Machete, a cyber espionage threat actor working against Venezuela's military, as well as some targets in Ecuador, Colombia, and El Salvador. Machete was identified by Kaspersky in 2014 and has since been tracked by Silence. While it's been mostly active against Spanish-speaking countries, it's also looked at targets in Canada, China, Germany, South Korea, Sweden, Ukraine, the United Kingdom, and the United States. There's no clear attribution, and ZDNet notes that it's unknown whether Machete is state-directed or the work of freelancers. It typically gains entry to its targets by phishing. What do you buy with your ill-gotten cyber gains? Well, if you're Mr. Kim, maybe a few implosion weapons, some launch vehicles, you know, whatever you can fit into your cart... Reuters says that yesterday it saw a report on North Korean cyber operations the United Nations Security Council received last week. Pyongyang's extensive state-operated cyber crime program has raised some $2 billion since its inception, the report said. The starting date of the cyber crime operations isn't stated in the fragments of the report that have been released, but Computing observes that the UN significantly tightened sanctions on North Korea in 2006. The funds have been used to pay for Pyongyang's weapons of mass destruction, essentially its nuclear and ballistic missile programs. Foreign banks and cryptocurrencies are the principal targets. There have been at least 35 reported instances of DPRK actors attacking financial institutions, cryptocurrency exchanges, and mining activities designed to earn foreign currency, 
the report is said to conclude. The Security Council is likely to consider further sanctions against North Korea, although there can't be much left to sanction. In yet another case of a user failing to secure its data in the cloud, UpGuard has found more than 6 million email addresses in an unsecured Amazon S3 bucket belonging to the U.S. Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. The data were posted in 2010 and appear from file names to have some connection with former Senator Hillary Clinton's campaign, perhaps a do-not-contact list. People who were associated with the campaign say no, the data were compiled by the DSCC. And the DSCC notes, with some justice, that the information exposed consisted only of email addresses, which is true enough. It could have been more damaging. Still, almost any data can be valuable to some criminal or intelligence enterprise. The DSCC says that the data are almost a decade old, which is also true. But another way of looking at the matter, as UpGuard observes, is that the data have been gurgling around in the cloud for nine years now which is plenty of time for exploitation in some form. The Black Hat Conference in Las Vegas is underway, and the keynote at this year's Codenomicon event is being given by Chris Roberts, chief security strategist at Ativo Networks. The title of his talk is A Hacker's Perspective, Where Do We Go From Here? Chris Roberts joins us with a preview. I mean, let's face it, as an industry... You've got to look at the numbers. We are spending, you know, 120 plus billion dollars in this industry, and uh, we keep losing more and more data. So I would argue that we're not exactly in a good situation. We have failed the charges that we are meant to protect. Is your sense that things are getting better or worse, or are we treading water? At best, I would say we're treading water. I wouldn't say that we're getting better. I mean, the innovation is fantastic. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're actually doing some amazing amazing innovative things but we have a lot to do we have a long way to go i mean you've got over three thousand security vendors out there each one of them unfortunately telling organizations that they can fix everything and let's be perfectly honest quite a lot of them can't we spend a long time chasing buzzwords we have security conferences where fifty thousand people go but let's be honest half of them probably don't want to be there and the cost of attending, let alone the cost of putting a booth in one of those, is ridiculous. There's an industry where you know we're more focused on minting millionaires and billionaires than we are actually protecting data. So you know it's a little frustrating, should we say? I can sense your frustration. And do you think you're erring on the side of being a little bit cynical? I mean, are there things to be optimistic about? I mean, it depends on where you stand. I mean, I mean, let's mm. be perfectly honest. If you are a consumer and you've just watched your shopping experience go down the drain because somebody lost your data, you just watched a couple of banks lose your information, you're in the military, you lost you know, your credentials and all the intelligence there, you go to a hospital and they lose your data, no, I wouldn't take a really positive look at our industry. You flip mm -hmm. it around and you look at our industry and what we are trying to do and maybe some of the movements that we're doing now where we have actually realized that we've got some challenges and we have to do things differently, then maybe. But I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's too little too late, but I would definitely say that we have a lot of growing up to do as an industry and we need to do it a lot faster than, than I think a lot of people want to believe. And I think that's probably especially relevant from like the vendor supplier side less so the people that are in the trenches you know the people on the the blue team that are actually trying to protect us I think are doing as best they can so what do you suppose are the forces 
that could make that sort of change come into play? I think collaboration, communication would be two of the big ones. And then really taking a step back and looking at the humans. And if we turn around and actually spend more time looking at the humans that we have, you know, they are to some degree our best assets. And that's everybody from, you know, the users that we've blamed for everything. Maybe we turn around and try to educate them in how to protect themselves more effectively and not do it in a punitive manner all the way through to the, you know, the board level, the directors and everybody else. And how do we educate in a in a way that they understand, not in a way that we're comfortable teaching? I think those are probably two very big ones. And then a little bit of humble pie. You know, we need to go back to the businesses and to the areas of the business we've blamed and say, hey, how do we solve this problem together? What are the the take-homes you want folks who see your presentation at Black Hat and are going back to their leadership? What are the messages you want them to take home with them? I think one of the probably the biggest ones is ask more questions. You know, I mean, if you think about it, Black Hat and other conferences are ripe with vendors and suppliers trying to tout their wares. And, you know, I I look at Ativo and I look at the guys, you know, that I'm talking about, and arguably we're there for those same reasons. And to me, it's a case of, the people that are coming to listen to the talk, I want to educate them. I want them to ask more questions. When a vendor or a supplier says, hey, you know, I can blind you with science, I want somebody to actually hold their feet to the fire and say, show me, tell me, don't just explain it to me and prove it to me. How are you actually going to help me? How are you going to help reduce risk? I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is really that war cry we've been having, which somewhat is back to the basics, which is, you know, focus on the human focus on the simple things. You know, it's the grunt stuff that we don't like doing. That's Chris Roberts from Ativo Networks. According to Accenture, Megacortex ransomware shows signs of greater automation as its masters trade stealth for volume and speed. ZDNet says the ransom demands exceed $5 million. The extortion targets have for the most part been in Europe and North America. Monzo, the British mobile-only bank, warned customers over the weekend that it had been storing some encrypted pins in log files. Some of the bank's engineers had access to the files, but no need to know any pins. The bank has now deleted any files improperly stored this way and has advised customers of additional steps they can take to protect their accounts. None of the pins seem to have been accessed by anyone outside of Monzo, nor have any of them turned up in any of the places one would expect they had leaked. Nonetheless, Monzo has advised its customers of additional actions they could take to secure their accounts. InfoSecurity magazine points out in an aside one problem with such warnings and disclosures. They can be indistinguishable from fishbait. It seems that many of them wound up in spam traps or were disregarded and dumped by cautious customers. And now, some smishing with a side of PewDiePie. People in the U.S. have been receiving texts with the following message. I'm here to warn the masses about SMS email gateways. Please look up how to disable it on your phone or call your provider and ask. The text is accompanied by some promotional barking in the interest of YouTube celebrity PewDiePie. Naked Security calls him controversial, which is one way of looking at the gaming commenter, whose cultural presence defies easy explanation. Some of those who've noticed the texts have been troubled by the question of how the texters got the recipient's phone numbers in the first place. According to Wired, however, they didn't. They brute-forced them by writing a script to generate all possible mobile numbers. 
from 1 to 9999999. The texters then associated these numbers with each U.S. area code. From there, they sent the text to the email-to-SMS gateways used by carriers. That's about 7.2 billion possible phone numbers. Wired identifies the spammers by their hacker names, Jawser and Oxgiraffe, a pair who last December hacked poorly secured printers and Chromecast to disseminate a pro-PewDiePie message, and inter alia lay some wisdom on the masses about these vulnerabilities. They appear to be doing the same kind of shtick now, so if you're in the masses, and who isn't, that's why you may have been getting those messages. And finally, a case in Pennsylvania illustrates some of the legal dimensions of cyber-stalking. A Warminster, Pennsylvania man, Blair Strauss, has been sentenced to two and a half years in federal prison for threatening his estranged wife and her family. He did this online, and the people he threatened weren't all in state. We'll give the prosecutor the last word. U.S. Attorney William McSwain offered a succinct explanation of why this was a crime. Quote, It's not an excuse to say you were just mouthing off. If you threaten serious bodily injury or even death over the Internet, that is a federal crime with consequences. Quote, So a word to the wise, control yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. At some point, shooting your digital mouth off crosses the line into communicating a threat. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Craig Williams. He's the head of Talos Outreach at Cisco. Craig, it's always good to have you back. Um, you and I talked previously about Sea Turtle, and uh, you've got some updates to share with us. Before we get to that, can you just give us a brief overview or reminder? Uh, what is Sea Turtle? Sure. Uh, so Sea Turtle is... Uh one of two separate campaigns that we believe are operated by different actors that we're seeing the Middle East and North Africa involving DNS tomfoolery, we'll call it. Uh, basically, actors hijacking DNS to redirect victims to their site. And the Sea Turtle campaign, primarily it's been reserved for strategic military targets at this point. When we identified this actor 
you know, we worked with Cyberwire and several other partners in the Cyber Threat Alliance to get the word out there so that people could see the difference in the TTPs. You know, and normally when you do something like that, bad actors, particularly those, you know, who are likely related to nation states, tend to stop their activity, right? They don't want to be openly seen doing bad things. Unfortunately for us, the sea turtle actors did not stop. They continued with their mission. Uh, they basically changed their TTPs a little bit. They added some additional infrastructure. But overall, they just continued to compromise sites. Uh, and so it's unusually brazen. Normally when you catch somebody red-handed, they'll stop, particularly if other people have blamed other actors, right? It's, it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Hmm. But these actors didn't care. You know, like imagine if you're a, a bank robber, and all of a sudden, one of the witnesses misidentifies somebody else as the bank robber, and the police get him. Criminals quit, would quit while you're ahead, right? Yeah, normal <laughs> criminals would be like, "Hey, I'm going to stop this week, and then tomorrow I'm going to come back in a completely different outfit and continue robbing banks if I want." Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, they would probably stop to not get caught. Uh, these actors have not stopped. They've changed their operations a little bit. Uh, we were able to identify some additional past activity with them, uh, and unfortunately, they seem to be broadening the types of places that they target. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is kind of what we were worried about, right? I mean, last time we talked about how they were primarily targeting basically military strategic targets. So for the average user, not that big of a concern. Now, it's not expanded too much outside of that, but it has expanded to other government organizations, energy companies, things like think tanks, international organizations, and airports. It's a disturbing trend. You know, I'm concerned that this activity will continue to broaden as they continue to be successful. You know, one of the, the more concerning things we've noticed in the past is that for some of the very, let's call them high-value targets, the attackers were actually making new individual servers for each one, new name servers with new IP addresses, so that it would be very difficult for it to be noticed and for it to be identified. Unfortunately, I guess they decided that that was not necessary anymore, and so they started reusing infrastructure, which is how we initially found them. So it looks even more like a system that's been in place for a while. They're not only broadening their target set, but they're optimizing their capabilities. So what is available in terms of defense against this? Well, there's a lot of different ways to defend against it. You know, I think the primary one is making sure that your registrars are secure, making sure that your name servers are hardened. You know, simple things like multi-factor authentication can be extremely useful. You know, if you have very sensitive domains, start looking at things like DNSSEC. Try and validate lookups with a recursive resolver or something like uh, OpenDNS, right? Make sure that everybody's seeing the right domain for your site. You know, so there's lots of different things you can do. You can make sure that passwords are rotated, particularly if you're something that nation states in the Middle East and North Africa may want. You know, if you're a registrar hosting those type of domains or TLDs, realize that you're a target, right? I mean, we're seeing secondary targets attacked in the United States and Sweden. Um, so we need to make sure that everyone who's involved with these type of sites and these type basically potentially hosting this type of information, realize that they're a target. Hmm. You know, and that you, you can do simple things too, like look who's connecting to your VPN, right? right. <laughs> Where's it coming from? So this is one to watch. Definitely. I, I don't think these actors are going to go away until they have a significant reason to. You know, from what we've seen, they've only continued to expand their operation, and I expect we'll continue to see that going forward. All right. Well, Craig Williams, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. 
Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks. Migrate from one IDP to another and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge. And they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.